got some questions. Go! You're feeling stressed, man. Go! Put on your GPS and go! I'm dirt, dirt, something is glistening. Download and listen to Tia, Katie, Chris, and Houston. You should go! go! All right. Oh, this so you, is you get awesome. You can watch City of the Dead um, during this <laughs> this podcast recording and Zoom meeting. Um, oh, that's awesome! It's 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 good folk horror. It is a graduate student has to go is going. It goes to a small town that has a bunch of history of witches, and she's researching it for like. I don't know, either like an anthropology thing or just a history class. Yeah. Um, and then she dies. It's classic. And then people have to go find her. But it's Christopher Lee is in it. Watched it the other day. And I was like, fuck, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, this is this is great. This is like a whole new level of podcasting that I, I didn't know I needed. But um, here we are. And now I'm like, huh, maybe this is the nudge I need to make the jump to video. I mean, it might be. <laughs> it could be. Uh, it's, it's probably distracting because you're, I can only imagine watching it. I'm watching it not only on my laptop, but I'm also watching myself being recorded in the Zoom with the movie projected behind me. <laughs> and it's, it's a little bit too much. <laughs> um, I think it's I just the like, right amount. Yeah. Here we go. Okay, I've I've made this thing smaller so I can only see you. So that's probably better. Nice. Um, let's see how far can I go over. Yeah, perfect. That's as much as the movie as you can get. Yeah, that's perfect. Right. Yeah. So, um, in terms of uh, the podcast, it's pretty freeform. Um, in the Discord, you were, um, you know, you initially mentioned that you didn't have um any spooky stories but you do have a lot of thoughts on ghosts and haunting and horror in archaeology um and then you shared that you had a, a story from florida that sounded like legit terrifying so um it's, yeah it's insane yeah i don't really have any structure i'm totally game <laughs> to just like go free form however you want to go do you want to start yeah. off by introducing yourself Oh yeah, I'll introduce myself, or maybe the podcast host introduced me, but I think I'll introduce myself. I don't know. What, <laughs> I don't know podcast decorum. Um, there's no decorum. Yeah. There's no sense of decorum <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> That's true. I've listened to it enough to know that. Um, yeah, my name is Travis Corwin. Um, I'm a field archaeologist in the, the southeast, though the nature of the game is I am kind of thrown everywhere. Um, and I just love Halloween <laughs> and archaeology. And what, what more do I need? What, what, what more credentials do I need to be on this episode? I'm wearing my Halloween vest, the, the 90s mom Halloween vest. Oh, it's perfect. I'm, I'm, drinking an, I'm drinking an old pal, which is a Campari-based cocktail. So it's, it's red like blood. It's also called an old pal. This is very Hannibal Lectory. I'm having an old pal for dinner. There we go. Oh, I love it. Yeah, you what? were kidding when you were saying, hold on, I'm setting the mood. Like, you've got a, a horror oh, I... movie going on in the background. You've got your 90s mom Halloween vest. You're drinking an old pal. 
we're ready. You know, when I, when I was supposed to be preparing things to talk about and getting better at telling that story of little salt spring, uh, I didn't do any of that. I was too busy trying to figure out what costume I was going to wear for the Halloween episode, <laughs> um, what drink I was going to drink, and how I was going to have a horror movie projected behind me during this entire call. You nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I had, a, I had a busy day. I was on like a bunch of phone calls. But yeah, so. We've got a horror movie going. And uh, you've got a terrifying tale to regale us with of a, uh, a spring in Florida. Um, I, I don't want to give anything away. I, I know you've got um, some bits and, and just like, this sounds terrifying. So, <laughs> yeah. So this is a story that I've been told by a couple of coworkers who are, I think, who, you know, are very deep in Florida archaeology, you know, a bit more than me, but so I'm going to do my best to kind of regale the stories I have heard it. And then with a few more flourishes for spooky effect. Um, but it's a story of little salt spring. It's in Southwest Florida in like Sarasota County or something. And for like the history of like the spring itself is for the longest time, it just looked like a lake, like a pretty shallow lake. And then one day, I think in like the 50s or something, they realized that it was actually a very, 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 like impossibly deep sinkhole. And within that sinkhole, like there's like, it creates like this anoxic environment where like things just preserve really well. And there are like, this was like a site of like, um, pre-Columbian like native burials. Um, there, let me look at my notes <laughs> to be really bad at telling this story. And by notes, I mean the Wikipedia page because um, I think it has some stuff on the archeology. span Yeah, we might have to cut this just for some pacing. Oh, that's fine, yeah. Yeah, let's just say Really old. I, I, I feel like it's an archaeology podcast. I should have been more prepared with the actual archaeology stuff, but I'm more prepared with the stories of the archaeologists who've worked there. Yeah. Which is where it gets, which is where it gets like fucking terrifying. Um, because like the dude who like was in charge, who was the first person in charge of Little Salt Spring, um, had essentially like plundered the whole like remains and was building a, and no one knew about this, was taking bones from this site and built like a fireplace mantle that was just comprised of like human remains inside of it. Oh my God. <laughs> and just all these different artifacts and just fucking insane shit. And I think he like, he, probably telling the story wrong but he like died and then they like go into his house and everyone's all like jesus fucking christ <laughs> <laughs> this fireplace mantle is full of human remains of like bones from like fucking some like just early fucking like people in the americas yeah this is like one of the really early like florida has like a few of those sites of just like really early like burials um 
partly because we have like a lot of stuff that just like in Oxic, we have like stuff like Windover with the bog bodies and then sites like this. Yeah. Um, so this guy, this, ar- this and- early archaeologist who was supposed to be, you know, caretaking the site was looting the site and uh, plundering human remains to make this just grotesque shrine of a mantle. Yeah. It's super horror movie. It's insane. It is just like the craziest fucking shit. Um, but that is kind of where like this kind of like legend among some like Florida archaeologists of this site being haunted comes from is you have mm. this, but then the next person in charge of that site has is has an equally insane story where he just kind of like goes crazy. He murders his wife. And just because he knows like Florida swamps so well and just like how to survive it there, they he's on, there's like a manhunt for him that lasts like days, maybe weeks of him just hiding in the swamp, doing like that fucking shit, you know, like getting like a reed with like a straw and just like hiding underneath the muck. Dogs can't find him. And he, he's just like on this hunt and no one really knows why he did it. It just like happened. <laughs> He was like, like just lost it, killed his wife and like hid for days in like the swamps of like Southwest Florida. Wow. So, and then like, so, so are they hiring right now or? <laughs> no. So I think that site is not open to the public. It is uh, run by, I think, I think it's owned by the University of Miami, but the guy who's in charge of it is... Uh, the guy who's in charge of like just like the count like Sarasota County archaeology who is the nicest man you'll ever meet just a complete sweetie I've worked with him like in the field super chill dude super nice and like like me and my coworkers have talked about this we're like why hasn't he been affected by this like curse of little salt springs where you either become like some monster like creating human remain mantelpieces or like some guys killing his which you know I guess killing like your wife is grossly a common occurrence in the history of the world, but um, some like crazy shit like that. And our only assumption is he's just, he's just so pure of heart. He he's unaffected by the curse of little salt springs, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's just like the wildest story. And it has like all those like tropes you see with like horror movies that start talking about like archeology span um, or anything with like the past where it's like, it's about like looting sites. It's about colonial violence. And then like that often problematic trope of like an Indian burial ground. Yeah. Um, but there's just so many things within like, um, I don't know, you watch enough horror movies and you just start, it just starts popping up everywhere. Yeah. Like, Cause there's like all the horror movies that are like classically about archeology. span You'll have like uh, the one that's like in like the catacombs in like uh, Paris uh, as above. So below, I think is that horror movie. Oh but, like, yeah. You watch like the, oh. ec- yeah. Yeah. But like, even just like so many other movies just have like, they're starting like their opening scene of like, Oh shit things. Something evil has now come to earth or like come into this, our, mo- our modern world. Um, it just happens all the time. Like the exorcist starts with an archeological dig when they get the, um, they, you see Pazuzu exhumed from like 
the little Pazuzu uh, figurine like taken from the ground. Yeah. Um, this this movie playing behind us, uh, City of the Dead, is literally about like it's about like academics, you know, investigating where they probably shouldn't be. That's such like a trope in like folk horror and like folk horror as like a genre is so based in those kinds of things of like an academic going somewhere and then like, you know, like, holy shit. There's like the, there's this folk horror writer from like the early 20th century um, whose name embarrassingly escapes me. Um, I could probably go grab the book real quick. Quick, cut this out. Okay. <laughs> All right. I gotta, I gotta check my position in relationship with the movie. Okay. Yeah, Eleanor Scott <laughs> is the author. And she's like this major like figure of like early folk horror and like very much the creative, like the genre. She has a story called Randall's Round that's all about like a um an academic of some sort going out to this small little town in England. And they have like stone circles and all that stuff. Um, but they have like this little dance that they do. And it's part of this like larger pagan thing. And, you know, they go out to the stone circle at the, like the very climax and whatnot. And it's all like, it's spooky. It's folk horror. It's putting your, it's getting way too into something. It's the past, like haunting us in like the modern times. Yeah. There's like, I've, I got really into this like folk horror zine uh, last year called Hellbore and it's out of England and it's like every issue is like a different, uh, yeah, it has a different like theme. So there's like one that's the wild gods and it's all about like folk horror and like paganism stuff. One that's the sacrifice issue and it's about how like sacrifices always in like folk or i think like uh both of, both of those themes think like the wicker man yeah yeah I, is um are you familiar with the artist named sin eater oh man am i i don't know if i am i feel like sin eater might have contributed to hellebore um but they make they're based in the UK and they make a lot of that kind of like green man, um, kind of like, uh, like harvest time folksy art, but it's all just like very dark and kind of like yeah. rooted in like monsters and mythology. Uh, they probably would have, but they, their most recent mm -hmm. issue to come out and they have another one come out soon is the unearthing issue. And that's all about like, I mean, that's so in line with like, just like these ideas of like how archaeology is kind of like, yeah, how it relates to like horror stuff. Um, and just like this idea of like unearthing stuff. If you've ever seen um, the blood of Satan's claw. No, that's an old, that's an old, like, I think that's what it's called. Um, it's an old, like British folk horror movie from the seventies. It's in that same kind of like camp and like, period as the original wicker man and that's a dude working in a farm like field um and he unearths like the skull of the devil this and is just, like, like that comic that you shared with me right i know that comic is exactly that like i'm pretty sure it's the same kind of like weird devil skull yeah um but yeah that com <laughs> that comic is such a good thing <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> what did I like, tell you about archaeologists, yeah. son? One day they're tricks and liars, and one day you'll find the devil. Exactly. <laughs> no, I've always made the joke that like um, the only reason I got into archaeology is so I could find the Necronomicon ex mortis and unleash darkness onto the earth. <laughs> um, which Evil Dead, another movie in which an archaeologist has released you know, has found something that is now going to change the modern world. Yeah. Um, and, and just like show terrible horrors. Yeah. I recently rewatched that. It had been years since I had seen it. And uh, the first time I had seen it, I don't think it really registered with me that it was an archaeologist um, that had left the recordings. And, um, you know, as, as they're playing the recordings, it like starts to get like more and more terrifying. And it, it you're totally right. It, it hits on this theme, like this common trope where it's like, they've gone too far. You know, they, they've gone mm -hmm. into this like research of this thing that should remain forgotten or this thing that was deliberately, um, it's not lost. It was like deliberately hidden so that it could never be, uh, you know, brought back. And then the archaeologist goes and brings it back because they're, you know, so mm -hmm. consumed with their desire to research it that, uh, you know, they don't consider that they should not be researching it. They should not bring it back. Um, I love that kind of story. It's, it's like that kind of like heart of darkness story, which ties back into the, the little uh, yeah. salt spring thing where it's like, you've gone too far. Shouldn't have gone in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, well, like the past is just like, an inherently like, I don't want to say dangerous, but like it, it inherently has the ability to like rupture your ideas of the present. There's, yeah. there's this really good quote from, I think like the first or second issue of Hellbore. Um, I think it's the second one. Or is it the first? I don't remember. Um, but it's from like an archeologist who works in like, and it's a uh, Katie Soar. Um, she's mostly like a classic antiquity stuff, but she writes a lot about like folklore. Um, but I got to find this quote <laughs> actually, because it's really good. I used it in a, um, a presentation I did for like the SHAs uh -huh. on, um, on the work I did at the estuary cemetery in Tampa, Florida. I did like the photogrammetry work on that. And this big goal of like the photogrammetry that we had was how do we maintain like the urban context within like for of like this site like how do we show like this site's this historic site's relationship with urban the urban like landscape because it's a cemetery site that was completely lost within like tampa's urban landscape it lost sometime in like the early 20th century it's from like the fort brook period it's the second summer wars the 1850s mm. and it's like you know it's a a large number of it's, it's a full cemetery um that was like completely erased within the tampa landscape and if you follow tampa news at all in the past like two years tampa is full of cemeteries um when we were working on that project a uh a backhoe like operator was taking away like the all like the soil surfaces like the road structure all the stuff we didn't need to like research and getting to like the historic layer to where the grave shafts start to form. And we stop him once the grave shaft gets there and he looks at it 
looks at like the archaeologist and says, that's a grave shaft. I've seen that all over Ybor. And Ybor is like, Ybor City is like this historic neighborhood and like part of Tampa. This dude has seen like this soil pattern all over the city. Oh my God. And cemeteries just keep popping up. Yeah. Um, but like this quote from Hellbor talks about like the, it's talking about stone circles and why we're so like fascinated, like why everyone throughout like history is kind of like fascinated with them. Like people, just people inherently, especially people um, existing in kind of po- industrial and post-industrial like life. Yeah. Um, and because it's, it's this temporal and like anomaly it's the past like leaching into the present and it kind of has this like shattering like way that we're where it makes you have to really question you know both the linearness of time and kind of like you know and both the present's relationship with the past and i use that quote because like when you're dealing with like sites of like colonial violence you how like you got to like you you recognize like when you work on like a, a site like that it's impossible to not like see the ways that like the colonial past like these this period of american expansionism in the 1850s is connected to like the periods of like urban construction which you're having to like excavate because you're having to go through like construction uh, from like the 1930s and the 1970s to get to this area of like the 18th, this part you're trying to see, this, these periods that construction has covered over this like site of like colonial violence. And then you're, this, and this was like a thing that happened to me when I was at like that excavation. I start seeing how I'm connected to that in like CRM and this thing that's like, my the only reason i'm there the only reason i'm like excavating that site is so like a high-rise building can get built in and then like in that exact moment you're like kind of like weirdly unmarred or like i was from like the present and had like my feet in the present in like numerous pasts and then like this future where i knew that within a year this is just going to be a, a skyscraper which it is now that's like really how you powerful. Like recognize that. Yeah. There's so much of that. Like mm-hmm. that's really, really well said. And that's the kind of um like it's just so sticky in CRM, you know, like you're you're a a, a person with connections to the past and the present, and you have this knowledge of the past, but you know that uh, this development is continuing and perpetuating and it's kind of like when when do we ever like stop and really reconcile the like original sin if if that's kind of like what we're calling like the kind of like the the period of trauma the the period of colonial violence that's been buried over and then reburied over and then reburied over and continues to get disturbed like that's one of those really sticky things in crm that just kind of like it's really hard to to kind of carry that with us when we're working on that. Yeah, and like, I mean, like the original sin, like what we're really kind of talking about is settler colonialism. And that's like very much like, and 
that's what I kind of realized in that moment in like a, in the very much like a horror movie moment where it's like, I've unearthed this thing from the past and it has now had like great implications on like my life in the present. And it's, it is, un, it is unleashed a horror of the past now yeah. onto like the monitor. And like, I don't, and like, yeah, I don't like making like cemeteries and like human remains into ghosts. Um, if you've read like, um, uh, Sarah surface, Sarah surface Evans and oh God, who else was the editors on that volume? It's, um, hmm. It's like altered timescapes and hold on. I have to look up the title for this like uh, edited volume that's all about uh, like ghosts and haunting experiences and mm. as like a theoretical framework in archaeology. It's blurring timescapes, um, subverting erasure. And I think that, and then there's like a subtitle as well. But it's edited by Sarah Surface Evans. Um, I think April Bisa, I think, was involved in it. Keisha Supernaut in Canada. Mm. Um, I think a number of them also did like a edited volume for the SAA on like feminist archaeology in 2020 as well. Um, but that was like published in 2020. This uh, blurring timescapes, and it's just articles all about like those kind of ideas about like like archaeology and haunting and like because like um Keisha Supernaut has this experience where she was working on a site and she was like she felt she had been like legitimately haunted during it and it like changed her like way of understanding how she should approach archaeology wow um and I know in their article they did on haunting for that special edition of the SAA's journal for feminist archaeology, also in 2020, they talk about using haunting as a way for like, I guess like Western audience or pe people who have like a very like Western and capitalist informed view of time in like linear time and like progressive time and not really that more like nebulous like time circle kind of stuff yeah and, like yeah um they talk a lot about like using haunting as a way of understanding those non-western non-capitalist ways of understanding time because it's very much the capitalist like um sorry i just got very distracted by the movie for a second <laughs> 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 no, but that's really clever. And I had never considered haunting in that way. And Keisha Supernon is such like just a, a brilliant archaeologist and, and such like a, a powerful force in the discipline. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I'm really excited to read that. But um, yeah, just the idea that there's, you know, these, these events or chains of events that were in the past and using haunting as like, you know, that that collapses the time in between the past and the present so that, you know, the effects of these events or chains of events are also still present now using that as like a, yeah, a way to display, you know, what we're dealing with in archeology, span but also just haunting. Um, that's, mm -hmm. that's a really cool idea. Yeah, I know. And in that article, 
um, that they wrote for the uh, SAA like volume. It's about the um, boarding, the native boarding schools in like uh, I want to say Michigan, somewhere. I think it, I think it was in like the Upper Peninsula. Yeah, I can't remember. It's wherever um, Sarah Surfer Evans does like a lot of her work. Um, but they're kind of like exploring stuff because like you have those feelings and like they're looking at like they're showing people like the bricks from like these like archaeological digs there and like talking to like the stakeholders like the descendant communities of the people who were sent to these boarding schools and like having them involved in like kind of talking about like their feelings when they are interacting with these artifacts um and so much of that article is just about like those continued legacies of like settler colonialism and how it's still felt in today's world, not just in like this sense of haunting, but also like we feel settler colonialism through just the very structures of America. Yeah. And how, you know, with, with the example of boarding schools, it's such a recent trauma too, you know, like it's, yeah, it's only a couple generations removed. And, and if even that, um, you know, for a lot yeah. of people, you know, I, I've met people who went to boarding schools, uh, you know, out here in the West. And, uh, it's just like that, that's one of those things where it's like, it's both archeological, but, um, present at the same time, you know, it's, it's this persisting trauma, this persisting chain of events that, um, you know, has repeated itself over and over and over again. Um, but it's interesting to consider that, like, uh, you know, to to relate uh, the importance of these sites and and the importance to the to the descendant communities to archaeologists. I, I think that's an important piece too, to really drive home that, um, you know, like to use me as an example. Like I, I've worked on. Um, like native Hawaiian sites and on a lot of um, indigenous sites that were um, active around the time of, of contact here in the Pacific Northwest where, you know, there were documented mm -hmm. um, massacres. And so, uh, you know, this is, this is, you know, not really in the deep time. And so to be present as a white settler archeologist on these sites doing you know, archaeology for some kind of development. Um, you know, it, it really, it drives home the importance that like, I have to approach it with just the utmost respect and, and like delicateness to, you know, make sure that I'm like not doing more damage than archaeology is already doing, you know, and to kind of mm -hmm. acknowledge that. Yeah, and that's such like a dilemma when you're working in like CRM, especially when you're like a field tech and it's like you have so little power in how like a project goes. Yeah. Um, and like, that's something I've always like struggled with is that like that connection I see to like settler colonialism and archaeology. I mean, that's like the history of archaeology in America. It's it's salvage archaeology. It's anthropology and the history of anthropology at large in America. It's all about, you know, Na Native Americans were being erased by like the United States government, and there was like this, you know, fake like race against the clock of like 
you know, preserving those, like, those cultures, um, but also, like, bringing those cultures into the power of, like, the state and the academy and, like, through, like, universities, which are all, you know, the state and the university are, like, connected forms of power. And so it's, like, that weird kind of way of, like, trying to protect, like, Native American history um, and culture, but really just kind of like putting it into like the hands and like the power structures of like the state. And CRM is so much a part of that. Yeah, uh, just because it has to follow, um, you know, the compliance obligations that are set forth by the state um, and I can't remember where I read it, but it, it, there was an indigenous activist that said um, that compliance is not consultation. And that's been mm. something that has stuck with me is like, yeah, we can follow the letter of the law for like section 106, for example, and we can, we can check all the boxes and we can do it perfectly legal, perfectly, you know, to the letter of the law for section 106, but we can still do wrong by indigenous communities, even when we're doing everything, you know, above board to the regulatory framework, just because it doesn't, it doesn't invite indigenous communities in to, you know, have their, their voices heard and their priorities, uh, you know, their concerns prioritized in various projects, you know, it gives a window for comments and review, but, uh, you know, that window is so narrow that that window comes through, you know, where, where tippos get to, to weigh in. And it's, it's not like the rest of tribal council or the rest of the um, indigenous community. Um, and so, you know, it's like, it, it's just such a narrow, uh, you know, space to, to have indigenous voices heard um, in the whole regulatory framework. Yeah, like, I mean, I work in like the Southeast and like, but I have worked like briefly in California where like mm. you work so much closer with like the tribes. But in the Southeast, you know, you only ever work with, you only ever have like the TIPO, the Tribal Historic Preservation Office on site if there's human remains that are pos that are like possibly uh native american right that's the only time you don't like but i've been on like when i went out to california for work it's just anything they're just and it's yeah the tip the tribes are constantly involved um but i've also from my experience in california um it seems like there's still a lot of tenseness with like it's a there's a tense relationship with archaeologists and the tribes um but that's it's a great point that like compliance is not consultation yeah. And beyond just like tribal stuff, um, community archaeology does not exist within like the framework uh, for the most part. I think in some cases and with some like in some very specific cases on projects, you'll have like community involvement. Um, but for the most part, you don't you just don't have that. You know, in the southeast, I work so often on like farmland and every farm in the southeast has been thoroughly looted of all of its artifacts 
but there's such, you know, you, you can tell there's such major sites because there's still so much turning up in them when you go there. But I've worked on like uh, civil war camps related to like the battle of Manassas and, you know, the dude who owns that property will tell you that like, Oh yeah, people, I'll have people come over. They'll like metal detect and whatnot, looking for stuff. I've in tobacco fields in Tennessee. I've talked to the people who like, because they saw us working out there and they wanted to talk to us. So I was like, Oh, an opportunity to talk to someone who actually like is constantly in relationship with the land here. Yeah. Um, and like, I asked like, you know, we're, you know, we're doing an archeological dig and like, do you guys have like, you pull up like a lot of like archeological stuff, like points and whatnot. And he's all like, oh yeah, yeah. And I was like, God, I wish I could see this collection, but that's not part of like CRM. Right. Yeah. See, Cause like, that's no, it's no good to CRM for the most part. There's no site still there. That's like needs to be like protected. I think what they, I think what we really need in like the Southeast is just like a, like a Southern farmlands, like archeological survey where we just like a, like a community archeology span kind of like initiative where it just like work, like just like uh, empowering the people who are constantly like working in these farm fields, um, both the farm, the farmers, like the farm, like the landowners, but also like maybe even farm workers. Um, yeah. And be like, Hey, like, here's how we can like, here's how archeology span is done. Here's like, what archaeologists need of this data and there's like a bunch of ways you could probably do that like through like just like having like a arc map or like a a survey kind of like just having like people like be able to point like i found this point here um you could probably start like trying to like mitigate the damage to those sites but i just don't see it in a lot of parts of the south i don't see like a lot of like community archaeology florida's pretty good about not necessarily farmland stuff, but they have like the Florida public archeology span network. Yeah. Which is a pretty, it's pretty robust. Um, but now I'm in like North Carolina and they don't really have any public archeology. span My, like uh, one of my coworkers, her neighbor found like a, like had a bunch of artifacts, like pulling up in like her like yard. And she like post on like their, like their neighbor's app or whatever, like their, like and was all like what's all this look at all the stuff i'm finding and like my coworker was all like uh can we talk <laughs> can i come look at that please so like so like in like a real like low like a lull of work where we had nothing going on like summer 2020 me and my coworkers, we all dug like a couple like test units um but we showed him like how to get set up with like registering that site with the state and just like saying, here's the stuff we found. They, there's, there's two people that live there or they're, I think they're both former, like maybe, maybe not teacher. I mean, one's a teacher, but I think they both have worked in like the education system. So they were talking about like, Oh, using these as like educational resources, people can like go into like have these artifacts we found going to classroom. The work we did there, which admittedly sadly wasn't enough. I mean, can't do so much archaeology in your free time as much as like you know <laughs> you don't want to do too much unpaid archaeology yeah um but it seemed like for the most part what probably happened is it was a subdivision um there's probably a larger site that did have a larger context but it all just kind of washed down to that part of the property because that's like the lowest point of this subdivision 
because we couldn't find any um any really like intact uh strats for yeah for the artifacts like you'd only get like a couple like the most of them were in like just this topsoil kind of like unintact stuff but but there's just like stuff like that it's like what is like you know but that's, i feel like we, we've digressed <laughs> <laughs> we've we've gone on a journey yeah i feel like a which is often a conversation with me it is a journey and then 30 minutes later i'm like yeah so the reason i brought up the one thing with like the one uh, the blurring timescapes is april b brought up like a good point of like you shouldn't make ghosts out of people you shouldn't like yeah like you can understand like haunting and archaeology through like artifacts and such but like you get into like an ethical muddy ground with like when you start like thinking about haunting within like cemetery concepts or cemetery contexts um which i agree with um so like i don't really like talking about the cemetery like the work i've done in that way but there is like but also it's like it's crazy like tampa and like a lot a, a lot of cities in the south there's a lot of historic cemeteries a lot of african cemeteries that are just completely lost within like the landscape of like southern towns and cities um another like cemetery that popped up in tampa was uh it was a black it was like a it was a black historically black cemetery and it was built over by uh like project housing in the 70s Mm. so like and the majority of people living there were african-american and possibly like actual descendants of the people who were buried there and you know talking to people there like there's haunting stuff like people feel haunted by it and it's like it's a crazy experience yeah um that's also just heartbreaking to have it is it's fucking terrifying and it's awful it's just such a heartbreaking thing to know that you've lived over like human remains i mean like I'm, i'm pretty sure at one point before like that one cemetery project happened that i worked on i'm pretty sure i drove over human remains yeah because there was like a road going through it um and it's 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 crazy but it is in in like within like america at large like a lot of like like native burial stuff like it's getting erased it's getting stolen um and then like within the south you have a lot of like historically like black cemeteries um that are constantly being erased um and like it's crazy yeah especially with such lax in oregon in oregon on private land if there's a previously recorded site um it is the state law that you have to conduct archaeological testing or a data recovery on a previously recorded site even if it's private land so uh the the trick though is like it has to have been previously recorded so you end Mm -hmm. up with areas like massive private subdivisions that don't have anything previously recorded because there hasn't been a reason to do archaeology out there you know and so like you know subdivisions are just blasting through sites more than likely because there's no regulatory protection and you know like oregon's fairly strict i know that it's less strict in other states so 
just like thinking of how many sites, how many human remains, how many just like sacred places just get blasted through for development is that's just heartbreaking. And so it's like to think of haunting as, um, you know, less of like a, a supernatural or like spectral horror and more of just like the psychic damage of doing trauma. Yeah. And settler violence and stuff like that. And that, and that's, and that's very much what the blurring timescapes is about. Mm. Um, which is, you know, my, my Halloween archaeology reading recommendation is it's, it's, it's blurring timescapes. Um, but yeah, it's very much about like haunting as like psychic damage and then yeah. like legacies among communities because like, you know, his like the past is like, like the past is always there. Um, it's legacies exist. It's like what happened in the past, like it helped build like what happened, you know, that's, that's just how like, you know, that's how history works <laughs> yeah um especially in my very like dialectical like marxist kind of mind um like that's just you know it's there it's it's sort of constantly haunted by it and like and i think that's why in so many horror movies and like horror books and just like the genre um why archaeologists often play a role, even just like that mild, like inciting incident thing. Yeah. It's because you, you, we expose those, those truths, those contradictions. Um, it's just that, so like, you know, um, which is why I may, I've made, like, I think it might still be my like pinned Twitter thing, although I'm not really on Twitter much anymore, but it's, yeah, it's the, I became an archaeologist to unleash darkness and find the Necronomicon and unleash darkness into the world. Um, because that is to some degree, like, even if you're not trying, that's what archaeology is going to do. Yeah. You either need to like, or it, to some degree what archaeology should do. If you, if we understand like the horrors of the past, they're just like the horrors of the past being like settler colonialism, especially within America, but also Writ large in like archaeology, we see the ways that like it's so often co-opted and like used historically as well by like white supremacy. Oh you know? yeah, man, that's that's a whole episode in and among itself. That is oh for sure. That's a huge can of worms with the way that uh white supremacy co-ops anthropology and and archaeology and and you know physical anthropology too it's still happening it's it's like yeah if oh, anything there's constantly. been a resurgence of mm -hmm. you know phrenology and and race science and that's you know that's that's the origins of archaeology right there is it is it, no, basically the thing race is that, science that is the origins of archaeology and like i was saying with like the origins of like anthropology and archaeology in America being like such so like archaeology at large was so much about the construction of like the European like nation states in like that post like feudal period. Um, that's like you know that's when like antiquarianism starts to really become a thing, and you have people like Napoleon getting into this, um, and you'll only in like in the history of like archaeological thought and like the history of archaeology, you'll have like the occasional archaeologists like fighting against that. But like, 
you know, you have like V Gordon child in like the thirties, like being actively anti-fascist. And that yeah. was like the ideology of like his archeology. span It's all like, there are a bunch of like archeologists in Germany and other places in Europe who are using this to like promote like white supremacist and fascist and Nazi ideologies. And that's not what archaeology, like that's not how archaeology should be used. Because at the end of the day, archaeology is a very powerful tool because the past is a powerful like thing that you have to deal with. Yeah. Um, so yeah. It's funny, like unearthing the original sins of anthropology as well, not just original sins of settler colonialism. You had said something earlier that um, that stuck with me, and I, I had to look it up. Um, how you don't like to talk about uh, work you've done on cemeteries, and and I feel the exact same way. Like I've done a lot of work on cemeteries, and uh, I actively avoid talking about it because um, it just it falls into this just swamp of bad takes um but uh robin lacy on twitter uh whose graveyard arc um tweeted something yesterday that that um what you said reminded me of she said thinking about how people always want to talk to me in october because graveyards are spooky but also knowing that they aren't and should just be talked about all year yeah yeah, I know, like, that's so true. Um, and I, I mean, I'm even a sucker for, like, going to a graveyard in October because, like, yeah, that you know, there's so much, like, because they're spooky. Like, there's so much, like, so many, like, images in our culture that just, like, associate that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, again, it's with that larger thing of just the past being, like, horrific. Um in both like the actual horrors, but also just in that like kind of like abstract way of like seeing something that you just like can't quite comprehend, like it's fuller like implications and just that, that horror of that. Um, but like, uh, but yeah, like just today I was, I've been like working with, um, I've been trying to get like a different job, kind of like either better job an archaeology job outside of archaeology. So I'm working with like Voc Rehab, which is like a, a job thing that the government does for people with disabilities. Which oh, if, cool. you're an if, if you're an archaeologist with a disability, you're an archaeologist who's become disabled by your work. Um, look into vocational rehabilitation. Every state in the country has it and they can help you with um, job placement in a field that's less like physically demanding. Um, also look into getting in contact with the disabled archaeologist network. It's kind of a new, uh, it's kind of a new organization for disabled archaeologists. I'm kind of spearheading a group for like, um, field techs, especially, but people working in compliance archaeology who are trying to, uh, navigate working in it with a disability or get out of it because of their disability. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, but, but Yeah. But I digress. Uh, but I was just talking to the person today and she was all like, oh, what's the coolest site you've ever worked on? Um, because that's the question you always get when you're an archaeologist. Like, what are some cool sites? And I'm like, well, they're either incredibly boring and I have to explain to you why they're cool. 
or it's a cemetery and I don't want to talk about it. But I always kind of have that problem where it's like, I do want to talk about the cemetery because I did interesting work on it with like the photogrammetry. So it's like yeah. work I'm proud of, but it's work I have like this weird relationship to. Yeah. Because it's like, because of what we've talked about. Is it yeah. so like complicated and kind of, a, it just progressive. I sent like the SHA presentation I did to like my voc rehab person. Cause I was like, oh, I'll send it to you. you. And she's all like, She's all like, this is, I've not had to think about this before. Like, she's all like, you know, I go to like, I travel a lot. So I'll go to towns and I think about like gentrification and how that affects stuff. But I've never thought about how like just deep in the history it is. Like how much of like these, how much like any kind of history or any kind of peoples that don't really like work in favor of like white supremacist and like colonial like ideologies how long that history has just been like washed over in the urban landscape yeah absolutely yeah i've been taking notes uh during this whole uh podcast so um i'll be tracking down links for all the things you mentioned uh and putting those in the show notes so anybody listening uh on whatever app spotify uh apple podcasts uh, i think it's also on like stitcher and google play um, it should be in the notes of wherever people are listening. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to read Blurring Timescapes. I'm really happy that you mentioned that. It's really great. And I did like a reading group with like some friends. It was a really fun, like mixed group of people. It was like some archaeologists working CRM, uh, an archaeologist who was doing kind of more the academic route, though kind of like fell off of it because academia is terrible. Um, but so is everything in archaeology. And then yeah. like, you know, and then just people that are just like not at all interested in archaeology. Some friends that I just know who are into spooky things. A friend who works in like the agricultural like industry as like an engineer. And then like my wife, who's like an HVAC engineer. Like I had all of these people in it. And like, it's a pretty good like paper just for like, archaeology and interactive like archaeology for like people who not aren't necessarily like professional archaeologists i mean there's still like a lot of like dense like archaeology reading so definitely read it with an archaeologist but i thought it was a pretty fun like reading group to have because it was like this very diverse group of people and it's kind of something a lot of people are interested in i think a lot of i think people in general are interested in haunting as an idea because yeah. it's part of the culture it's something a lot of us experience um, and so we're all interested in. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think that's probably a good place to cut the episode. Uh, Travis, where can people find you online? Um, you can, I think I'm going to start going back onto Twitter. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at leftist dad jokes. <laughs> I love your handle. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's probably the best place. I guess if you want to have a pro professional connect connection with me, find me on LinkedIn or something. <laughs> I think it was on my friend's like music podcast. So I was like, find me on LinkedIn, I guess. <laughs> um, nice. And then well, I think, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and sharing these, uh, 
you know, spooky stories, but also like great insights into, um, you know, like folk horror and how all of this ties back into archaeology. I feel like that for me, there are so many things that I'm interested in, but I have such a hard time tying it back into archaeology. So it was it was really fun uh, chatting and and uh, kind of going all over the place, but tying it all back into archaeology. So I, I really appreciate that's, it. That's that's my special gift is my brain goes all over the place, but I somehow always tie it back to archaeology. Um, <laughs> I lack that talk, gift. Yeah, talk to me enough, and I I can do it for pretty much anything. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. so yeah, um, but other than like finding me on like Twitter, I'll do some plugs, I'll plug the disabled archeologist network. Um, again, it's, like I said, it's new. Um, but there is like a CRM group that, uh, we're starting and, um, yeah. And then if, if you really need to get in contact with me, uh, wait for a full moon, set up a few candles in a pentagonal um <laughs> just say some random latin um quote some either 90s cartoons or Karl marx and i'll probably show up <laughs> look look in the mirror and say travis corwin five times <laughs> he'll turn up yeah i'll turn up <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, we also have a go dig a hole discord. Um, anybody can, anybody who listens to the podcast can join. Um, yeah, just like hit me up on Twitter at go dig a hole. I'll send you an invite. Um, but yeah, Travis is also on the discord. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not a super active discord, which is actually great because, uh, I've have too many notifications and stuff to keep up with in my life as it is, but, uh, it's, it's fun whenever we're on there. Yeah. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed the horror movie that's been playing behind me this entire time. I have. Yes. So city of the dead, uh, is that on, where is that? It's Netflix? on shutter. No, shutter. it's on shutter. I'm okay. A, I'm a shutter purist. Um, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. I feel like we, yeah, I feel like we did a good job on like closing up the the podcast but i'm also like oh for some levity do you have any like horror movies that you have to watch during like october are you that kind of person oh yeah i i watch um like seasonally i'll get into like halloween kind of movies um and i'll get into like christmasy kind of movies around christmas um yeah my halloween movies uh trying to think like um Edward Scissorhands, Evil Dead, like e Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Um, mm -hmm. Love those. Um, my wife, like her all-time favorite movie is Practical Magic. Um, loves that movie. Uh, so, of course, like we always make the jump from that to Hocus Pocus, which is just nice. like really campy, cheesy Disney witch stuff. Um, what else? I don't know. I'm kind of like all, all over the map. I had, so I had never seen Halloween town before so like when, I, when I was a kid and I moved to Portland, like a uh, little over five years ago. 
They have and, the Halloween town there in Oregon. Yeah, so it's in the the town of St. Helens, Oregon, which is, you know, like a 40-minute drive outside of uh, Portland oh, uh, nice. up the Columbia River. And so they do like a big Halloween town thing every year. And so I had, I had been to that without ever seeing the movie. And so I was just like, the other day I turned it on and I think I made it like 15 minutes into it. I was just like, you know what? I'm sure this was great to watch when you were like six years old but um as like a 37 year old it just doesn't really have that same kind of uh punch yeah well but, uh, as as someone who is very much the disney channel original movie generation um i do me and my wife do watch halloween town every year um <laughs> i think and then We'll watch like a couple of, we'll watch Halloween Town 2. We'll watch Halloween Town High. Um, I think even last year, we I think last year we watched every single one. Um, I'm a sucker for Phantom of the Megaplex, which was a really lame one <laughs> they did. Um, yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'll watch all that stuff. I'll, I'll binge watch a bunch of like Goosebumps episodes. Oh, yeah. Um, of course, you got to watch the haunted mask. Yes, and then, and then after that, I'll just you know I'll also just watch like a bunch of crazy like random like horror B movies from like the sixties and seventies and whatnot, or just the classic shit. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a I'm sorry for it. my my family ha- did a haunted house like every year for Halloween, and then when we and I was never into horror movies growing up, so when we stopped doing that, I was like, what am I supposed to do for Halloween? And then I got very into horror movies. <laughs> you got to have fix. It, my mom thinks it's the funniest thing because I just never liked them like growing up. And then like freshman year of college, I was all like, I have nothing to watch. So I just got into all like the classic, like things you watch for Halloween. I think it was like, you know, um, and now I'm just like a fucking like addict for like all of that, like schlocky grindhouse and like whatnot yeah. stuff. Yeah, I get so into it, like, in October. I just, like, I can't get enough of the, like, B-horror movies. I used I used to love those when I was a kid, though. Like, I would watch, you know, like, Creature from the Black Lagoon and, like, The Blob and stuff like that. Just, like, really bad horror movies that were, uh, you know, like, they belong in Mystery Science Theater 3000. But yeah. um, I loved it when I was a kid. So I still watch it every now and then. It, it has a special place in my heart. Oh yeah. No, that and that's like me with all those like Disney Channel stuff. Now, now we're getting to that point where we're probably just going to cut out most of this, I imagine, because it's just kind of <laughs> rambling. Um, but you know, I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a creature locked inside of a house for the most part who never talks to any human souls except for on like a full moon when I'm summoned. Um, so when I start t- talking to people, I'm just like I'm at this point in. Um, that post uh, the beginning of 2020, that 2020 period yes. where if I, if I run into a person, I'm like, let me tell you everything. 